0: The following podcast contains explicit content and is not suitable for all listeners. Aboriginal people are twice as likely to suffer physical assault and nearly three times as likely to be victims of robbery and sexual assault than their non-Aboriginal counterparts. Aboriginal women, in particular, are such frequent victims of violent crime that the Government of Canada launched an official investigation in 2016 into the numbers that have been murdered or gone missing over the last three decades. The Royal Canadian Mounted Police put that number at roughly 1,200. The rate of female homicide victims in Canada was more than seven times higher for the Aboriginal population in 2019. On September 2, 2020, a now 20-year-old woman was denied by the courts on her petition for early release. Just 27 months into her 40-month sentence, She was seeking to be released so that she could rejoin her family, re-enter her community, and look into attending university. From the outside, and from the judge's view, it appears she just wants to move past this little blip, and for her life to simply continue on, unencumbered, as though she didn't partake in the brutal beating and murder of her 19-year-old classmate and then post the horrific event on Facebook. This is the story of Serena McKay. Serena Chelsea McKay, or Serenity as she liked to be called, was born on September thirtieth, 1997, to Dolores Daniels and Harvey McKay. Her parents were no longer together at the time of her attack, and her mother had remarried, to a man named Roland Massau. She had four siblings, a sister named Michelle, and three brothers named Joshua, Jonathan, and Alexander, and lived with her family in a town called Powerview Pine Falls, which is located 120 kilometers, or 74 miles, north of Winnipeg, in the southwest area of Manitoba in Canada. For those that don't know, Manitoba is at the longitudinal center of Canada and is considered one of its three prairie provinces. It is the fifth most populated province with a population of roughly 1.37 million people. It is bordered by Ontario to the east, Saskatchewan to the west, and the Nunavut territories to the north. The U.S. states of North Dakota and Minnesota also border Manitoba to the south. The capital of Manitoba is Winnipeg, with a population of 778,500. It is the seventh most populated city in Canada. Powerview Pine Falls is a small town of approximately 1,300 people as of 2011. It borders the Sagin First Nation Reserve and the rural municipality of Alexander. Serena and her family were of First Nation descent, and so I wanted to take a minute now to discuss the reserve and some of their heritage. I am by no means an expert, so if I make any errors, including in pronunciation, please feel free to correct me. As always, you can comment on my Instagram page at Femicide Podcast, or on my Facebook page, Femicide Podcast. Nothing I say is ever meant to be disrespectful in any way, and I am always open to learning. I feel it is important to tell these stories as people, especially women, from Indigenous communities are often overlooked, and their cases closed without justice being found. Thankfully, in this case, some justice was served, but too often, that is not the outcome. According to their website, the Seguin First Nation is a unique reserve in that it belongs to three treaty territories, Northern Turtle Island, Southern Plains, and Eastern Turtle Island. The name Seguin comes from the Ojibwa and means mouth of the river, because it borders the Winnipeg River on both sides, although the reserve is still listed as Fort Alexander Reserve and is often referred to as such on maps, etc. It is home to the Anishinaabe of Seguin, and the land has been occupied by the Anishinaabe people since, quote, time immemorial. The first treaty was signed in 1871, and the land was surveyed in 1874 and consists of approximately 21,674 acres. The reserve currently has 7,637 band members, with approximately 3,352 living on the reserve. Quote, Anishinaabe is most commonly translated to mean original man, or the good humans. Ojibwe historian and linguist Basil H. Johnston, quote, maintained that Anishinaabe translates as beings made out of nothing and spontaneous beings, end quote. Sadly, quote, a 2015 CBC analysis found that Sagin First Nations was home to the highest number of outstanding cases of missing and murdered Indigenous women, end quote. As I stated earlier, these cases of missing and murdered Indigenous women need to continuously be spotlighted and brought to the forefront of conversation, as does the systemic mistreatment of the Indigenous people as a whole in Canada. Serena was older than her classmates at 19 years old in her senior year of high school at Sagin Anishinaabe High School. I couldn't find why she was roughly one to two years older than most seniors in high school, but I assumed she was held back or had dropped out and returned at some point or had to switch schools. I read that she was apparently new to that particular high school and had only been there about a year. I also read that she was staying with friends at the time who attended the same school and that she isn't of Seguin descent, but unfortunately I wasn't able to find any further information about her childhood or her life prior to the incident. And also read she was living with her family, as I previously stated, so that part is a bit fuzzy. One source states that she is a, quote, Canadian Pegwus First Nation Teenager, end quote, which according to Google Maps is another reserve located approximately two hours and 45 minutes from the Sagin Reserve on the opposite side of Lake Winnipeg. Again, I cannot confirm this information as fact, but she is of First Nation descent and was living near the Sagin Reserve at the time. She is described as very beautiful by everyone who knew her always willing to help others, and that she was also an artist. She was interested in treaty law and wanted to make a change in her community and for the Indigenous people as a whole in Canada. She was just two months away from graduation and was looking forward to starting her adult life, purchasing a new car and traveling around the country. On the evening of April 22, 2017, Serena was invited to a house party located on the reserve by a group of seven people, including at least two girls aged 16 and 17, who also attended Seguin Anishinaabe High School. Everyone was apparently very intoxicated and an argument over alcohol ensued, with Serena being described as, quote, being aggressive throughout the evening, end quote, and was subsequently thrown out of the party. Outside of the house party at around 1 a.m., the two girls present got into a physical altercation with Serena and proceeded to brutally attack her. According to an agreed upon statement of facts by the Crown prosecutor Jennifer Comack, the first girl began beating her as the second started filming. Although male voices can also be heard in the video. The 48 second video was made available on Facebook, and one of the girls also posted a Snapchat photo of herself, covered in blood and smiling with the caption, quote, Just chilling. End quote. Serena was beaten and stomped repeatedly in the head by both girls. Totaling in 67 injuries to her body 19 to her head, 2 to her neck, 11 to her torso, and 35 to the rest of her body. End quote. The girls then returned inside the house with the other people present, leaving 19 year old Serena severely injured, bloodied, likely unconscious, and laying outside in the cold night temperatures to die. During the sentencing trial, a pathologist stated that Serena likely died of hypothermia after her injuries and the alcohol in her system left her unable to seek help. It is believed Serena succumbed to her injuries in the early morning hours of April 23, 2017. I'd like to take this moment to thank you for listening to my podcast. The concept behind femicide is very close to my heart, and I hope through these stories we can shed a light on the abuse, violence, and sexual assault that women face daily. This podcast is 100% a one-woman operation. I research, write, record, and edit every single episode myself, to help support me and my efforts, I have started a Buy Me A Coffee account, which I have linked in the show notes and on my Instagram page at Femicide If you aren't familiar with the platform, it is a place where you can donate to help support my podcast by buying me a coffee and gifting any amount you wish. I also have exciting news. I have started a Patreon account. If you aren't familiar with Patreon, it is a membership-based platform designed to allow fans to support and connect with their favorite creators. For just $5 per month, your membership will allow you premium access to one bonus episode released on the 30th of each month Exclusively on Patreon. The first bonus episode will be released this month. It is the story of Nancy Eaton, a 23 year old heiress who was murdered in her own home by a childhood friend. Sign up today online at patreon.com or via the Patreon app. Again, I will leave the link in the show notes of this episode. As always, I will be donating 10% of all gifts received and memberships every month to various charities that help support women. The charity I will be donating to for the month of May 2021 is Women's College Hospital. Located in Toronto, Women's College Hospital is a leader in health for women, health equity, and health system solutions quote, we advocate for health equity because we know that a healthy society requires a level playing field where everyone has access to timely, high quality, efficient, and compassionate care, end quote. Gifts, while deeply appreciated, are not the only way you can show support. It would mean a lot if you would subscribe to my podcast and leave a review, as it really helps bring awareness to these stories. And please don't forget to share with your friends and family, because word of mouth is the best review of all. On a Facebook group titled Justice for Serenity Serena McKay, and a now closed petition on change.org, a very different story about the night's events are described in detail, as are numerous comments, many which appear to be by people in the community. The names of the girls and the others at the party are also listed. As the girls were both underage at the time of the murder, their names have been withheld from the public, and I will not repeat them, but they are known. These internet pages claim another girl named Amy, who was not one of the girls charged for this crime, and whose last name I will not say on this podcast, was the true instigator in the events of that evening. It is widely believed by those who know Serena that Amy liked a boy, but that boy liked Serena, and out of jealousy, she planned for her friends to beat up Serena. She apparently was not present at the actual fight and had left before the vicious attack. Serena's family assert that she was set up and her murder was premeditated. A comment I read states that in the video in question, a girl is heard saying, quote, She needs to know what she did to fucking Amy. End quote. The video was removed after three days from Facebook. However, I was able to listen to a blurred out version. And I couldn't hear that particular sentence, although it may have been edited in some way. That said, even the blurred out video is horrific. And the girls are heard saying, quote, If you ever send anybody fucking after me, I'll fucking kill you myself, end quote. And, quote, Come on, I don't want to fucking see her alive, end quote. While Serena moans, Cries and apologizes, saying, quote, I'm so sorry. End quote. The girls continue to yell, Fuck you, as they punch and stomp on Serena's head until the video ends with an unresponsive Serena. I will not be linking that video as it is extremely disturbing. I only listened as I wanted to hear if the comment about an Amy was true, and unfortunately, I cannot verify that. There are male voices that can be heard saying, quote, she's dead, she's dead, just don't touch her, end quote. Which, to me, sounded like two different people. According to the Change.org petition, one of the male voices belongs to a man named Cal who apparently robbed Serena of her jewelry, including a watch, and her iPhone. As well, the petition asserts that Cal stripped Serena naked to make it appear as though someone raped her, and so the crime could be linked to nearby neighbors who were known criminals. I could not find any information corroborating these events from the articles about the case, but it is stated Serena did not have her phone or any of her belongings with her when her body was found, but whether she had been stripped is unclear. The petition was seeking that Cal be arrested and charged with accessory to murder, accessory after the fact, and indignity of a corpse, as well as his role in initially attempting to cover up the murder. Cal is also allegedly involved in In the local drug scene, and appears to be older than the girls, and did not attend the high school. Serena's body was not found until 8 p.m. on April 23rd, 2017, by a community elder who was walking by and lived in the area. She was reported missing at 6 p.m. in the nearby town of Powerview, and her body was discovered on the reserve just two hours later. I assume her family were the ones to report her missing, but it is not clear exactly who made the report. On a quick side note, I do a lot of research on each episode as I want to provide as much information as possible and show respect to the women whose stories I tell. Unfortunately, in most of these cases, the victim's life is overshadowed by their death. This is incredibly frustrating. When researching this case in particular, much of the information circulated around the video, the trial, the sentencing, and the aforementioned petition for early release. Basically, I found most of the information related to how this brutal homicide was affecting the murderers. And while I appreciate the focus on her being of First Nation descent and that her death is being used to further highlight murdered and missing Indigenous women, I do wish more about her as a person and her life in general was available too, as well as more specific details about the case. I just feel as though I have so many questions about her as a person, the others involved, the events prior to and after the attack, as well as the, quote, agreed upon description of her being aggressive that night. The overall lack of information about victims and their lives prior to their death is why I started this podcast in the first place, to tell their stories, what happened to them and the greater social issues their deaths represent. Obviously, their killers need to be discussed, but I wish more information was available about the victims as well. And of course, this isn't all cases, but just many I have researched, I've noticed this trend. On April 24th, one day after Serena's body was found, the youngest girl spoke to her school counselor about the attack and then turned herself into the RCMP. The same day, the school's principal was notified of the video's existence by students and forwarded the information to the police. One of the girls involved was found to have sent text messages about the events, claiming that Serena was okay after the fight and walked away. Quote, We fought, I broke her nose, then that happened. She left after. She was okay. She was up and walking. End quote. In later messages, the girl claims to be scared and is trying to create a defense. Quote, she was found dead, bro. Promise me. Say when we fought it wasn't that bad. Her nose was just bleeding lots. I'm fucking scared. Promise me you won't tell him I fought her deadly. Please, bro. Say after we closed the door, she left. Just one week later, both girls were charged with second degree murder for the death of Serena McKay. The trial that followed was primarily for evidence being presented for sentencing, as both girls entered guilty pleas. However, the younger of the two, who was 16 at the time, ended up pleading guilty to manslaughter. Her defense lawyer claimed she was, quote, a panicked young person, end quote, and her sentence was ultimately more lenient as a result. She was sentenced to just two years in custody, followed by one year of supervision in August of 2018. The older of the two, who was 17 at the time, did plead guilty to the charge of second-degree murder but received just 40 months or 3 years and 4 months in custody followed by 23 and a half months of supervision in June of 2018 prosecutors had attempted to seek adult sentences as the maximum for youth was just 3 years and felt that was too lenient in this case Both girls also underwent court-ordered psychological evaluations. The Crown prosecutor did argue during sentencing that the younger of the two did not have any quote, reported cognitive disabilities, end quote. The older of the two girls was remanded to the Manitoba Youth Center and then moved to the Manitoba Women's Correctional Center late last year. As she is now 20 years old. It is not clear where the younger of the two spent her time in custody, but both girls were ordered to have no contact with each other during their sentences. The family was devastated by these lenient sentences and during the second sentencing wore red shirts with Serena's picture on them in court, shouting, No justice, as the judge read the decision aloud and the family was actually escorted from the courtroom. 26 victim impact statements were also submitted from family, friends, and even strangers, detailing how the loss of Serena in such a gruesome and tragic way had irrevocably changed their lives. Her mother told the court, quote, Losing her is always in the back of my mind. I dream about her and I wake up crying and sad that she is not here." End quote. Judge Lindy Choi sentenced the younger girl and says it was a difficult decision to sentence her as a youth and not as an adult, as she quote, "clearly had no mercy. You were even bragging about what you did." End quote. But the judge ultimately did not feel she exhibited adult-like behavior during the attack and handed down instead the maximum for manslaughter as a youth. She did call the attack, quote, a reprehensible act of astonishing cruelty, end quote. Judge Rocky Pollock, who was the judge who sentenced the older of the two girls, is also the same judge who denied her request for early release. He's quoted as saying, quote, She still does not appreciate the significance of her consequences. Quote. She has apparently made steps to better her life by cutting ties with the father of her young son and another person who played a part in the events of the attack. She's finished high school and has gotten a job in laundry at the correctional facility. However, she has also been caught forging a staff member's signature to have a letter released in the mail and was caught tattooing herself. She was also a part of a group that refused to comply with lockup orders. A probation officer and a traditional knowledge keeper, also referred to as an elder in First Nation communities, both have given progress updates stating that the young woman is still, quote, easily misled by others, end quote, and that she, quote, struggles with self-acceptance and will give up her own values to gain acceptance from others, end quote. She has also written to the judge on at least two occasions apologizing for her role, but yet not really taking responsibility. In a document she titled, My Life Story, she wrote, quote, A couple drinks turned into a full weekend of binge drinking. Waking up a Monday and finding out you were involved in a murder was so shocking. I couldn't remember much of that weekend, but watching a video a friend showed me was brutal. I sat back and denied it all because I am not a violent person. End quote. This is just a part of what she wrote, but I think it's clear she doesn't want to take responsibility. And her request for early release just solidifies, to me, her desire to move on and distance herself from her crime. These are just speculations on my part. But her evaluations also lead me to believe that while she received a harsher sentence than the other girl involved, I don't believe she was the leader, nor did she escalate the situation once the attack started. In the video, you can clearly hear one girl saying, quote, blank, take over, end quote, before the comment about not wanting to see her alive. The girl recording, who is stated as being the younger of the two, then spurs on the continued beating and stomping of Serena by the older girl. I want to be clear here, I'm not defending the actions of the older girl in any way, shape, or form, and I do feel she is missing empathy and remorse, and therefore should have continued evaluations and supervision by a psychologist going forward but the younger girl seems calculated in her actions and more dangerous to me. She said the other girl's name, video recorded her face, and the attack primarily after the older girl took over. She turned herself in first and got her plea reduced to manslaughter. To me, and again, obviously I am in no way a professional, But she seems to me to be exhibiting sociopathic tendencies. Regardless, both girls are deeply troubled and should have ongoing evaluations and supervision. Their sentences should have reflected that, and I agree with the family that it wasn't. The effort it takes to beat someone to death. The girls were exhausted, out of breath, and yet they continued. That is way more than a fight gone wrong or an accident, and clearly shows intent to kill. And even if Serena was being aggressive that evening, she had clearly been subdued by the start of the video, and they continued the assault beyond any reasonable self-defense scenario. Serena's death also deeply impacted everyone at her school. On June 23rd, 2017, the school held its graduation ceremony and left an empty seat in the front for Serena, draped in a red graduation gown, red being the color used to represent missing and murdered Indigenous women. On top of the gown was a graduation cap and a sign with Serena's name on it. Her diploma was presented first during the ceremony with her mother accepting it on her behalf, and a class ring was also donated by the company who makes them and given to Serena's mother. A $1,000 award was also created in Serena's honor by the school and is awarded each year to a student participating in arts and humanities. The school's principal, Claude Guimond, stated, Well, she was one of us. She came to school, our school. Like I say, every kid in that school is like my kid. And I'm sure all the staff felt the same way too. We lost one of our kids. It's a close-knit community. And like I said, we're a big family here. You know, with the tragic event that took her life and stuff, it really hit everybody in the community. You know, it resonated right across the country. End quote. The final thing I want to discuss, and I touched on this earlier, is the other people involved. Whether the claims of it being the person named Cal and his alleged actions the night of the attack are true, there were others involved who were there that night. Even Judge Pollack commented on the older girl distancing herself from a friend who, quote, had a tangible role in the events leading to McKay's death, end quote. She isn't allowed contact with the younger girl who was convicted, so it's stating she was distancing herself from someone she isn't allowed contact with seems redundant. It makes more sense that it was someone else involved. So where are these people? And why were none of them charged with anything? The male voices clearly stated, quote, she's dead, she's dead, don't touch her, end quote. So whether she was dead at the end of the attack or not, obviously everyone present believed she was dead when they left her outside. So why are they all not charged? It's stated that because you couldn't see their faces on the video, they couldn't be confirmed. But many people are charged without any video evidence every day. So I don't know, that seems strange to me. Was there a cow? Was there an Amy? What actually led to the events of that night? Unfortunately, it seems these questions will continue to go unanswered, and the only people who really know what transpired are those that are unwilling to take full responsibility for their actions. And at the end of the day, a young woman who had her whole life ahead of her. Instead, had it tragically cut short. Thank you for listening to the story of Serena Serenity McKay. I'm your host, Sean Marie. Join me next time for another story.